worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory.
1345. Sorry, there we go. All right. Uh, so we're going to be looking for Ephesians 4, 1345 in the church Bibles. First of all, we've got a few prayers to keep in mind. Uh, we're going to continue to pray for Raul and his family. He lost his brother last week, uh, Uvaldo. And we'll continue to pray for them, lift them up in this time. Uh, another one we want to mention is Amanda Copeland, Rick's wife, lost her younger brother, Brandon, this last week to a sudden heart attack at 39 years of age. So we need to really remember that family in that difficult time. And Santos, um, <clears throat> Sandra's husband, is going to be having some ear surgery. I'm not exactly sure um, the procedure, but anyway, it's something to do with some ear surgery. So we'll keep him in our prayers. I think that's coming up in the next couple of weeks. So uh, nonetheless, we'll keep all those in our prayers. The Lord will be with them. We're going to be reading Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 this morning. <clears throat> I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and longsuffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Amen. Let's pray this morning. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here today in your house and just to be in your presence, Lord, uh, is a blessing. So we pray that your spirit would be here, would fill this place, would fill our hearts today, would teach us, Lord, uh, what you would have us to know, transform our lives, Lord, continually to be more like you, to be in who you are, in all that you are. We do lift up these, Lord, that we talked about earlier, Lord, for uh, Raul's family, for um, <clears throat> Amanda's family, and for uh, Santos and Sandra and their family. As, as these needs have come up, Lord, only your hand is enough and your grace is enough to provide peace and comfort in these situations. So we continue to lift them up, Lord, this week. We pray they would feel your presence. And above all these things, Lord, that you and only your name would receive glory in everything that's done there. Uh, we, th we thank you for this word <clears throat> this morning, Lord, that there is one living God, one Holy Spirit, and one Son. And, Father, it's one baptism, uh, Lord, one salvation in the name of Jesus. We are comforted to know that's who we come today to give glory to and honor and all praise. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.
I'll stand one more time. Oh, my soul, 
Good morning. Great time of worship and praise, and I love those songs. So I uh, look forward to the message that the Lord has for us. We're continuing in the book of John. So if you'll open with me to chapter 12, we're going to be on page 1239. Page 1239 in the church's Bible. John chapter 12. Daniel brought a powerful message last week on Pentecost. 
and I'm thankful for the places of truth that he gave us to strengthen us and to challenge us. The week before that, we were in John chapter 12, and the very first part of John chapter 12 talks a little bit about Jesus as he comes into uh, Beth, Beth, I'm sorry, comes into Jerusalem from Bethany, and uh, he has been there and raised Jesus, I'm sorry, raised Lazarus from the dead, and many had come to see Lazarus and to understand about this place, and we also talked about Mary as she came and anointed Jesus with the precious oils. And then we also talked a little bit about this place where he came in on a donkey and how that represented this place of peace as he is the Prince of Peace. So today we're going to continue. We're going to start in verse, let me see, verse uh, 16. It says, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, and was, um, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. So today, if we were going to look for a title, we entitled this, The Son of Man Glorified. I was really... Um, drawn to this place of understanding this. It, in verse 16, it starts off, it says, the disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered the things that were written about him and that they had done these things to him. So that place of glorified. Then again, you'll see this down in verse 23, but Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. I thought, what do we think glorified means? What would we say right here that glorify means? And, and I thought about this particularly because oftentimes when I pray for people, the Lord brings me to a place of praying that they would see his glory. Oftentimes in the situation, that is a place that I've seen that God brings me to a place to just press into the place, to join him and say, Lord, may they see your glory in whatever the situation is. And, I, and so I was really thinking about that because what we see that Jesus is talking about, he said, but when he was glorified, what he's talking about is his death. 
He's talking about his death. When he says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. He's talking about his death. But I wanted to understand this a little more fully. So the Lord took me to Isaiah 52 on page 847. So if you'll put your marker here, we're going to come back to John. We're going to uh, Isaiah, page 847. Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, wisely. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. But it goes on to say, just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred, his face was marred more than any man, and his form more than been. I'm sorry, and his form more than the sons of God. So shall he sprinkle many nations, kings who shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. So it starts out, it says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, wisely. He shall be exalted, extolled, and be very high. This is a place I understand as being glorified, lifted high, being praised, um, being exalted. This is a place that makes sense to me, glorified. Then he took me to a place to uh, look up the word glorified. And I looked up this word to see exactly what it might mean. And the word glorified in a biblical understanding means to render or esteem glory. This seems to fit with what we just read. To ascribe weight by recognizing value. Showing value to Jesus for who he really is. Giving glory. This place, years ago, I, I looked up this word glory and I understood this a little bit because it, it said weighted. And so I understood this understanding of this value, this weighted place, this exalted place, more than we can imagine. Just It's just so weighted. All of this made sense to me. I also found one more understanding. It said to personally acknowledge God in his true character, his reputation, his, the essence of who he is in all his splendor. To personally acknowledge God in his true character. I want you to remember that as we study today. The essence of who he truly is. His nature, his qualities, all his splendor. And yet, as we look at this scripture we're reading, it's talking about his death. 
that doesn't seem to fall into the description that we think of when we think about the glory of God. And I thought about that, so when I oftentimes write down or pray for something or pray for somebody and I pray that, God, they would see your glory, have I been thinking about his death? He took me to one other place. I love this. It's uh, Moses on page 100, Exodus 33. Exodus 33. Moses is meeting with Jesus. I mean, I'm sorry, with the Lord here. And... Um, He's talking to God, starting in verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, God said to him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, Moses says, Please show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God says to him, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock, so it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you will see my back. My face shall not be seen. I see this place where M Moses is before God, and he's been called to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. And God has told him that he will do this. And he, he's, got, he's like, oh, who are you going to send with me? Surely you'll send someone with me. This is a, a huge task. I can't go by myself. And God says, my presence will go with 
you. And then he says, well, let me see your glory. Let me see who you are. Let me see the substance of your character. And it's interesting because it says, I will make my goodness pass before you. Look on over to the next column in chapter 34, verse 5. It says, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, by no means clearing the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So I see this place that Moses cries out and he says, show me your glory. And God is showing him his glory. As he passes by in all his splendor, in all of who he is, his true character, we see it here as the Lord tells us he's merciful, he's gracious, he's long-suffering, he's abounding in goodness and in truth. He goes on to say that he forgives the iniquities and the transgressions and the sins. But he says one other thing. He says, but by no means clearing the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You see, when I think about his glory, I'm right with him in those first few words. Are you there with me? You can see this as God's glory. You can see his goodness, his long-suffering, his mercy, his love. You see all of this, and this is what we think of when we think about the glory of God, don't we? And I know this is true because I know when I'm writing that down, or I know when I've said that, that what I'm wanting people to see is the goodness of the Lord. Lord, may they see your goodness in this situation. Oh, the Lord has humbled me here. So turn back to John 12. I want to show you the things he's shown to me. So as we come along here, in verse 23, it says, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The hour has come. Now, all throughout Jesus' life and his ministry, we have seen times when Jesus would say, "It's not The hour's not yet. It's not time. It's not time. But here, he's telling us, The hour has come. John chapter 12, verse 23. And so the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And he's talking about his death here. 
oh, this is so, seems so different from the place that we were looking at where Moses is crying out to see his glory. And Jesus is saying, the glory is here. And then he goes on and he, he even says, most assuredly, and, and you know, this is a very strong place that he's saying, you know, amen and amen. This is so true right here. Listen up. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So Jesus is taking this time, and, and it's so interesting because don't forget what has just happened is the disciples are all here, and a couple of guys come up. It tells us in verse 20 that some, some certain Greeks who'd come to, up to worship at the feast, they are coming to Philip and asking to see Jesus. If you underline in your book, in your Bible, I wish you would underline what it says right there in 21. We wish to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. Now, when it says that these are Greeks, what this is telling us, these are not Jewish people. These are Gentiles. Now, they have come to worship at the feast, so they have come to see some things about this God that the Jewish people know. And they're wanting to understand who this man Jesus is. So they want to see him. We want to see him. We've heard about him. We've heard about this man, Lazarus, he raised from the dead. We've heard about the many miracles he's done. We've heard about the teachings. Who is this guy? We want to see him. We want to see Jesus. And so Philip and Andrew come, and they don't know what to really tell the people, I guess. So they go to Jesus, and they tell Jesus, there's these guys that want to see you. And so Jesus is answering with this understanding. He says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then he starts into this understanding, this parable, this, this teaching about this grain. And, and it, it seems so funny. These people asked to see him. And he's saying, well, listen, you know, the hour's come for my death. And then he says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And we would go, yes. Even as I, I, I'm not a farmer and I don't have much understanding of a lot of the, of the plant world, but I do understand that you take a, a piece of wheat and that grain falls into the ground and it produces more, right? It comes up. It produces a harvest. And so Jesus is saying, you see, that's me. 
I'm going to be placed in the ground. I'm going to die. It says, it says, if the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. You see, the way it is, is that if you take that piece of grain and you plant it in the ground and then you go back a little bit later, it doesn't look the same, does it? Bill would be able to help us to understand that. If you dig that up, it doesn't look the same. What it was died to become something new. And in that place, there's a harvest. It becomes more. And then he goes on in 25 and he says, But he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He who loves his life will lose it. But he who hates his life, he, it, it, he who detests, despises the flesh in this world will keep it for eternal life. Isn't that interesting? So he's talking about this place of his death. And we can see that. That when Jesus died, he is going to be buried. And he is going to be resurrected. And when he dies, and when he is resurrected, he produces a harvest. That's what he's telling the Gentiles. He's saying, okay, I came for who? The house of Israel. Jesus came for the house of Israel. And that's what he's been telling everybody throughout his ministry. But now the Greeks are coming. The Gentiles are coming. The nations are coming. And he's saying now, now that hour. You see what he's saying is, hold on. Because when I am placed in the ground and when I am buried... And when I am resurrected, I will produce a harvest that will include not just the Jewish people, but all the nations. I'll produce a harvest, and you'll be included. That hour is coming. It's now. It's here. You see, he was teaching right here, to the disciples, what is about to happen. Because he has been walking with these people and teaching these people and bringing them to an understanding of what the kingdom is. He's going to transfer at his death. He's going to transfer what is happening to them. He's going to give them the opportunity to join in to this place. That they will be a part of the harvest. He comes on and he says, he who loves his life will lose it. He says, you know, 
if you're hanging on to what this world is, you're not going to be able to be a part of what's coming in this eternal life. But if you hate, if you detest all the destruction, the places that are going on around you, and you see the darkness that, that's here and now, then, then you'll be willing to lose your life for eternal life. Then he says something very interesting. He says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. There that is again. Glorify your name. I was drawn to all of this, and God began to help me see that in verse 26, if anyone, all people, if anyone, not just the Jewish people, but all people, Jesus died for all, right? John 3.16 tells us that, that God sent his only begotten work, uh, son that whoever believes in him, whoever would come, would be brought in to the kingdom. And Jesus is saying to these Greeks, he's saying, if anyone, you may come too. Every nation, every nationality, Every person has an opportunity. But listen what he says. He doesn't just say, everyone may come and see. That's what they asked for, right? They asked to come and just see who he is. What does that say to you? They weren't committed. We just want to come see what we think. But in 26, when Jesus answers, he says, anyone, if anyone serves me. Hmm. Follow me. Let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father, will honor you see, he's taking this away from this place of not being committed. He's saying, if you want to come, serve me. If you want to come, serve me. Let him follow me. So I looked up this word, serve. And um, th this word servant has a, has a strong understanding that goes along with this place of following, that anyone who follows Jesus would be a servant. And anyone that is not serving Jesus is not a servant. So what does this serve mean? 
what would this mean? What would it mean to be a servant? What does Jesus mean to say, if you're serving me, follow me? And I began to press into that because I thought about the many things that we think of service to Jesus. And we would say things like feeding the poor. We would say laying hands on the sick and praying for them. We would say, you know, uh, visiting someone is sick. These are ways of serving Jesus, right? We would have a list of ways that we can come and serve Jesus. And I could see so clearly, he's saying, if you come serving me, let him follow me. So he's tying this understanding of serving with following. He goes on to say, and where I am, that there my servant will also, will be also. He's tying this place of following with the servant. We have our own ideas of how to serve Jesus, of how to be a servant, of how to do for him what we want to do for him. But I believe what Jesus is saying in this very interesting conversation is you have to follow me. I was so drawn to some of the places, so leave your marker here. And I was drawn back to Matthew 4 in, on page uh, 1114. Page 1114, Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishermen of men. Follow me. Then it says, verse 20, Then they immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and the son of Zebedee, and I'm sorry, Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Turn a few pages over to Matthew 9 9. On page 11 20. As Jesus, um, verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he arose 
and followed him. Turn with me back to John 10, 27. We taught on this a few weeks ago. It's on page 1236. John 10, verse 27, page 1236. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, I have taught on this. I've taught on these very scriptures, and I've taught on this place that I think has some truth in it, that Jesus is calling us to leave where we are and to follow him in every part of our life. Absolutely, that is true. But I realized as I began seeing the fullness of this place that that was only milk. That was not the meat of what Jesus was saying when he says, follow me. Turn with me back to 12. You see, Jesus is giving this understanding that he must die for the harvest. This place, he's calling his disciples and everyone else that will come along from every nation That in order to be a servant, you can't just do the things that you want to do. Rather, he's calling us to join in to the same place he is of dying. verse 26 it says if anyone serves me let him follow me where into death not the death that he has that pays the penalty and reconciles our peace with God no but the death that we come to is the death of this world of whether we love this world or detest this world. Whether we love what we enjoy here, or whether we're willing to die to that to be truly his, to follow him into death. We talk about this all the time. I could see it so clearly. We talk about this place of baptism that is such a picture of dying to ourselves. And this is exactly where Paul gets this from. He's saying you have to be, you have to die to yourself to be raised up to walk in a new way. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, he's saying you've got to die. It remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. It produces a harvest. 
He says, when you die to yourself, then you will join me in my purpose for the harvest. Let's read this verse 26 again. If anyone serves me, let him follow me to death. And where I am, where is he going to be? In the death and in the resurrection. The purpose that God has for him. Go on, let's read. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. If you're this servant, that you will come along in this place of joining in. Paul talks about it being baptized into his death. This is what he's talking about. Verse 27 says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Jesus is saying, it, it, there's a powerful place coming. And, he, and his soul is already troubled because he knows the physical side of what is going to be required. But he also knows the spiritual place, the place he'll be separated from his father, what is required. But, but listen, and he says, you know, Father, save me from this hour. He's saying, what do you, should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? And then he says, basically he's saying, no. But for this purpose I came to this hour. He's saying for this very purpose I came. For this very purpose I came. To die. Father, glorify your name. I began to see, I began to see that this place of death is just as much a part of the glory of God as his goodness, as his kindness, as his long-suffering, as his help when we're in a situation. This place that is equally a part of who he is is in the understanding of his death. Because in that understanding, you see his righteousness. You see his holiness. And you see his love. You see, in his death, I've, I've thought about this so often. His birth is his birth. It's how he got here. But in his death was the purpose. In his death was the purpose that paid the price because sin had to be settled. It had to be atoned for. And in that place of understanding that sin had to be atoned for, you understand how powerful the righteousness and the holiness of God is. 
and that you have no way to settle the cost of your sin if it is not through the blood and the death of Jesus. I began to see that this place, that I was writing out these words that I believe God was giving me, had far greater spiritual understanding that as I would pray for people, that they would see God's glory in a situation. Yes, Lord, would they see your goodness? Would they see your long-suffering? Would they see your mercy? But Lord, would they see through the eyes of your death, your holiness, your righteousness, their sinfulness, their need for the cross, that they would come and die to themselves. To be a servant of Jesus. In verse 28, Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. You see, there were times throughout Jesus' ministry that Jesus the Father spoke to Jesus in an audible voice, and people had an opportunity to hear when he was baptized. Do you remember? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He spoke in an audible voice that people might hear. When on the Mount Transfiguration, he spoke in an audible voice that those around might hear. He speaks in an audible voice. And Jesus says, this is not for my benefit, but this is for yours. He goes on and says that in the next verse. But those that could hear spiritually heard. But most did not. They thought it thundered. Some said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus says, this voice did not become because for me, because of me. It, it's for your sake. Then he says something very interesting. He says, now the judgment of this world. Now is the judgment of this world. His death brought judgment. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. You see, I 
struggled with this place. I thought, now the ruler of this world is cast out. And I thought, no, he's still controlling this world. But I saw so clearly that for those who have died to themselves, who have followed Jesus into this place, the enemy has no authority. He's cast out. I saw the purpose of Jesus glorified God. The purpose in his death brought glory to God. But I also saw that in this death, it was a part of these characteristics of Jesus. It's a part of his nature. It's a part of his splendor. It's his true character, his righteousness, his holiness, his love. I want to leave you with one last scripture. It's on page 1122, Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verse 38. <clears throat> Jesus is teaching and he says, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who's not willing to die to himself, take your cross and die on it and follow him, in this place, if you don't, he says you're not worthy. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. A few pages over, Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus taught this so often. Sometimes I think we come to these places and we say, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Turning from the things you want, absolutely. Following in his footsteps, absolutely. But the fullness of that is to die to yourself. 
I saw in this place that Jesus died for the harvest. I saw in this place that he calls us to die not only for your own salvation, but for the purpose of the harvest. So, yes, one who follows truly in this place of dying to themselves to walk into the fullness of what Jesus has for you, that is salvation. But I saw how much fuller it is in that those that you walk by, those that you meet, those that you love, they see. What they see is not just that they see Jesus. They see that you died to follow him. That will change the world. That brings glory to the Son of Man and to the Father. We're going to stand and sing a song that I believe the Lord led this morning, and it's when I survey the wondrous cross. When I really stop and see that in his suffering, in his dying, in his bleeding, in his pain, is the glory of the Father. It says in this song, it bids me to come and die. And I thought, yeah. pray that you'll hear the message of Jesus' call to you today. I pray that it would strengthen your walk in a way to encourage you to live out the fullness of following him into death. And if you're here today and you have not made that decision, my prayer is that you would hear the Lord's call to you today and you would run quickly to follow him. Our elders will be in the back if anyone has needs that they would love for the elders to join them in prayer. Stand with me, please.
So 